broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico. I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. disembodied spirits, those of you that have grown old in the mysterious laws of spirit land, we greet thee. We have gathered here at the appointed time. We have complied with all the requirements to enable all of you to make your presence known. Members of the spirit world have long known of the intention of this important gathering tonight. All is in readiness. Please now, the time is at hand. Make yourself known to us. Any of you, please, manifest yourself in any way possible. That was a vintage recording of a seance led in earnest by a widow and her loyal constituents who gathered at the Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel on October 31st, 1936. It was on Halloween night that her husband tragically died 10 years previous. The seance was her final attempt, longing to make good on a pact with her deceased soulmate. It was the very last of a full decade, an annual All Hallows Eve tradition. Her husband's promise was that if he could somehow reach out from beyond the grave to communicate, he would confirm his existence in unknown realms past physical death. Her name was Bess, and her husband was the original master of magic and escape, the mighty illusionist Harry Houdini. Some speculate that after Houdini's beloved mother Cecilia passed away in July of 1913, that his interest in talking with the dead solidified. Anthropologically speaking, the calling on ghosts through the method of seance is as old as human culture, taking many methodical forms throughout history. But what we universally know as the modern seance hasn't changed much in over 200 years, a phenomena that surfaced as a consistently popular event not too long after the bloody American Civil War ended. Rattling tables, angry spirits, Phantasmic ectoplasm and bizarre entities were all said to temporarily possess the clairvoyant host. This spook show carnival of afterlife delights offered both an entertaining spectacle and an element of hope. Harry Houdini's interest in the afterlife was both ironic and misunderstood. He witnessed his mother spend what little money she had consulting with psychics and mediums before she passed, and this frustration led Houdini simultaneously to explore his own obsession with the living dead, while he also forged a brutal crusade against mediums. He was relentless in his approach, destroying their businesses one by one and revealing their tricks, embarrassing them in front of eager crowds. Mr. Houdini, you realize that spiritualism is a religion protected by the Constitution? Are you attacking religion itself? No, sir. I'm not. Liar! My father was a rabbi. For hundreds of years, my forebears were rabbis. I believe in Almighty God. But I do not believe a disembodied spirit can come back. 
There are only two kinds of mediums in this world. Those who are mental degenerates and ought to be kept under observation, and those who are moral degenerates and deliberate cheats and frauds. He would challenge the most sensational mediums of the day with custom-made, elaborate, and suppressive devices. It all became a large part of his traveling stage show. His once close friend and Sherlock Holmes scribe Sir Arthur Conan Doyle assured Houdini that his close companion was an authentic psychic. Her name was Mina Crandon, also known as Marjorie the Medium, and she soon became Houdini's main target. Much to Houdini's frustration, Marjorie consistently proved her abilities. She even conquered one of the escape artist's most difficult challenges by conducting a seance while her appendages were uncomfortably locked into a stagnant wooden contraption created to keep Marjorie from making fraudulent, ghostly sounds. Houdini wasn't satisfied, and he continued to publicly call out Marjorie the medium as a fraud. Witnesses said Marjorie vowed that if the illusionist didn't stop harassing her, she would send someone to physically assault him for revenge. On the night of October 22, 1926, while speaking to students at the Princess Theatre in Montreal, Canada, Houdini was abruptly assaulted by a man named J. Gordon Whitehead. The next night, Houdini collapsed during his final performance in Detroit, Michigan. He died from peritonitis only days later on October 31st, a result of his injuries inflicted by Whitehead. Many Houdini historians have speculated that Whitehead might have been a friend of Marjorie the Medium, and the assault was the last straw after his long crusade against her kind. Like in many cases, from Houdini to modern times, the seance clairvoyants have been the subject of scrutiny, as well as much curiosity, faith, and fascination. Later tonight, we'll speak with an authentic modern trance medium. So stay tuned, and I'll return after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. A rabbit's foot carried for luck. A pinch of salt tossed over the shoulder. A sense of foreboding at the sight of a black cat. Are they harmless superstitions or reminders of a darker time when the world was young? Nature seemed all-powerful, and humble charms were man's best protection against unknown evil. Enter the Enchanted World, a spellbinding series from Time Life Books that probes the forgotten origins of the world's strangest curiosities. In each lavishly illustrated volume, you'll move through storybook lands where the original endings to the tales of childhood weren't always happy ones. The Enchanted World takes you back to a time when restless apparitions drifted through darkened hallways. Some ghosts were nothing more than cold spots on floors or shadows in corners. Others took human form. A time when men who called themselves sorcerers used the tarot to prophesy the future. The hanged man dangling from a gallows was a sign of life in suspension, while the death card indicated change and a time when malevolent creatures were thought to stalk the night in search of hapless victims. Unwise was the wayfarer who journeyed by night, for in the shadows, greedy eyes glittered, claws curled, teeth clicked. Begin your journey through the enchanted world with wizards and witches. Examine it free for ten days. If you keep it, other volumes will follow. One about every other month. Spells and bindings. Ghosts and water spirits. So enter the enchanted world where anything is possible 
and a little luck never hurts. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and tonight's guest is an authentic modern trance medium. And much like the mediums of days past, she allows herself to be a vessel for spirits and entities to speak through her during a seance. Her name is Robin Wind, and she claims to have been in touch with spirits and ghosts from a world beyond our living existence. I myself partook in one of Robin's seances for a new episode of my forthcoming investigative series. It was conducted in the allegedly haunted house of my own brother, and the experience certainly challenged my perception of reality. So here's my interview with Robin Wind. I was born in Rochester, New York in 1963. We moved several times in my life always to houses that were old and decrepit that came with former tenants. (laughs) We were visited or experienced so much spirit in those homes and names and trouble sleeping. And we found gravestones in the backyard buried and with those names that I had heard from moving in. And I've spent my life seeing and knowing things that others kind of are hesitant about. Shocking. I've had people, I've mentioned a name, and I remember a woman dropping a coffee pot. And I had stayed overnight at a friend's house, and I never got to stay there again. And I mentioned who's such and such, and the woman turned, and she dropped the coffee pot, and it shattered. And she said, who told you? Who gave you that? Who are you? Where? And she was so upset, yelling at me. And I told her what the woman had said to me and what she looked like. And... She wasn't a friend anymore. <laughs> so these things were happening from your earliest memories. You were having encounters with something beyond from as far back as you could remember? As far back as I remember, when I was a baby, I used to be left a lot. I kind of survived a lot of abuse as a child, but I was left a lot in alone in a room, especially when I was a baby. And I remember seeing lights above my bed. And I remember being hungry. And I remember being in the dark. And I remember that when those lights came, I felt safe. I could hear them talk to me or comfort me. And I called them the birdies. And my grandmother was very aware of the birdies. Because when I was old enough to see a Disney movie with the fairy godmothers that are over the child's bed in Sleeping Beauty. I pointed and I was going, the birdies, the birdies. And my grandmother just looked at me and she said, oh my goodness, she has the gift. She can see. So your grandmother Mm -hmm. had it. Yeah. Also your mother? 
Um, not, I don't know about my mother having it. My, I, again, I'm very estranged from my family. I survived growing up is kind of how I tell people, but I know without a shadow of a doubt. And I've always said that without my abilities or those spirits that were there to talk and comfort and guide me and often telling me things that actually protected me or got me out of the line of physical altercations with a parent, like run or hide or hold your breath. And those kinds of experiences from the time I can remember heightened my senses and have strengthened something in me that was there basically in the beginning for mere survival to almost mastering the gift of my senses that are used to communicate. So it was trauma that inspired a strength in this um, ability? It, it it actually did. And, and as I've become a teacher for teaching about, you know, intuitive gifts and trying to help people connect and open to them, I, I find that there are many people that have had something like that, that literally they've had an encounter. And some people, it scares them enough where they close and they just don't want to talk about it. And it it's over and done with. And they come back to me as adults and they say, can you help me do that again? Can you help that happen again? Because now they're ready for it. We were talking about your childhood and I wanted to know if everyone in your family had the gift as they called it, because you were having experiences from the time of being a baby, uh, you know, this is something you were born with. When did you become aware that other people in your family had it? Well, I knew my grandmother did, and I didn't know anything like my sister has a little and my brother has a little, but it was mostly me and my grandmother. Uh, she knew, uh, she took me to a seer. Uh, I remember as probably five or six and she brought me to Florida to meet this woman that she knew, this native medium. And as soon as we sat down next to her, the woman came out and she looked at me and she said, this is her? And my granddaughter said yes, or my grandmother said yes, I'm sorry. And she said, oh my goodness, you know, Oh, my goodness, is what she said. And my grandmother just smiled and she said she was born with a veil. And no one ever knew. I, I wasn't really familiar with that term of, I guess, if you're born with part of the sack over your face, that the old wives tale is that you are a seer, that you have the gifts, you've been chosen with the gifts. And, you know, when you're a kid, you want to fit in. You don't want to be, you want to be like everyone else and accepted. So being freaky, I've been called 
a freak my entire life. And, you know, I've had friends that I thought I had friends and I said or did something not with any intention other than saying a name or saying something I saw or felt and then not be allowed to go back. And the kids weren't allowed to play with me. But then when I would go to school, they would tease me. And, you know, I was left-handed. I was dyslexic and I was a psychic or a medium as a child. I could look at people and feel what they were thinking and what they were saying. And I could feel the anger and the, it was kind of like school was no safe place. Home wasn't a safe place. Could you recall back then a time or a moment where another child recognized that you had this, this ability? There was one uh, girl, uh, we were probably about 10 and she was like the best friend. And I had moved so many times. It was hard to make friends. It's probably very similar to how military families are. They move so many times that they don't make long lasting friendships. And this young girl, uh, we just looked at each other and we knew each other. We were like that one year we were inseparable. We dressed alike. We walked hand in hand. We rode my horses. We just, she understood me and I knew she had a gift and we could talk about it or we would think something and all of a sudden they we'd show up at each other's houses or we would think something and get dressed and she would come and she would have the same thing on or the same color on and we didn't really talk about it so much other than together we felt like we were related we were connected in a way that was something I didn't even feel with my own family well, sometimes, as kids often do, and myself, they find a um, an incredible outlet with the so-called occult. And so even though these abilities were normal to you from the time of your birth, did you have a fascination with the abnormal and the occult and ghost stories when you were a kid? I did, but I, I did it in a way like the other kids did. Um, and I would do that with like, when I mentioned like maybe a Ouija board or ghost stories, if we were having, you know, we were sleeping over or whatever, I was never afraid of them. They were. I would wake up hearing somebody talk to me and I would get up and do you remember being a child and running down the hall to go to the bathroom and slamming the door because something might grab you kind of thing? And, you know, I would play with the spirits that were in whatever house that I was in. They came to me like I was some sort of satellite dish. And so I remember in particular sitting on this wooden, old wooden farmhouse floor and this little tiny door that had a little tiny knob on it that went up into the attic. I watched the knob turn and open and there was a cool draft and then I pushed it back closed and then it turned again and opened towards me. And a few times later, I saw a little girl on the other side 
of the door. I saw her crouch down on the stairs. Uh, she was very see-through, but she was very young, and she was dressed in clothes that were probably a turn of this century. And and she just looked at me, and that feeling of, you can see me? And I, I'm like, yeah, hello. And her name, her name was Cece. She said her name is Cecilia, Cece. Now, Cece was more of like a benevolent type apparition or spirit. Were there any um, malevolent types that were visiting you? And were you ever frightened of those experiences? There have been times throughout my life where there were spirits that you know, I'm going to back up and say to you what I, I think should be said. Most of my scary monsters were living. Anything that scared me were the living people that I was living with that were supposed to love and nurture and protect me and did not. I was very fortunate to have spirit guides and loved ones or spirits that were with me that I was not afraid of. I They raised me. I will say that. The animals in the barn and <laughs> the spirits that I played with literally are my memories of childhood that are good. It's amazing. Did you discuss in detail, um, I'm sure at least with your closest friends? I think that, again, I... I Ape, the young woman or girl I told you about that was my partner or my friend at that time, she, her family didn't like it. And one day she did, they decided that we, they moved away. I never saw her or heard from her again. I've looked for her and never found her, but we were heartbroken. It was like a bad movie where you're screaming and they're driving away and she's hanging out the window and like somebody tore us in half because they were intimidated by it. Our connection wasn't acceptable, I guess. Um, and to answer your question again about spirits that aren't so nice, people will attract by their vibration, usually, spirits that are of the same vibration or frequency. So no good, horrible, rotten people kind of have spirits that like to hang around with them that are no good, rotten people. In my case, family members who harm children had guides and spirits around them. Did I like them? No. Was I afraid of them? Yes. But I was more afraid of the living people that were in front of me that were doing horrific things. And I understand. Um, and at that time, when you were having these experiences and you were used to them, did any of your friends experience them as well when they were close to you? And, and were they terrified? Sometimes, yes. Yes. Can you describe a, a situation? The, it goes back to hearing people call me a freak and calling me that 
you know, what's wrong with you? Just stop doing that. You freak me out. Don't do that. Can't you be normal? And those kinds of things, I, I would look at them and say, what are you talking? I, to me, this is my normal. I can't change it. I can't an animal that's half dead and I can pick it up and hold it and it lives. That ability of seeing something broken and being able to pick it up and put it back together when everyone else says it can't be put back together. The energies that work with me show me how to do that. And, you know, I think as an adult, when I became a hospice worker, I think one of the most important things about that path for me was I was never afraid of death. And I was never afraid of what happens after. You're not going to just go into the ground or go into the air and be nothing that I knew the spirit continued. I knew it. I didn't have to study it. I was born knowing so you were certain back then that we go on, that there is another plane of existence after physical death. Absolutely. And I, I remember walking in, you know, as a, as a child who didn't really speak her truth and learn to be only speak when you're spoken to and, and a lot of broken bones and scars on my body to what I've survived in my life. But I was called from spirit from a very young age, unbreakable. And that's how this soul didn't chatter. That's how this soul didn't change. That's how it's been. That's why all of what was done to me has never, ever been retaliated against or angry to or done back. I, I came into the world knowing that what you do on to others, that would be done to you. I came into the world knowing that the change called death was just a natural part of the process called life. I came into the world and announced at my grandma, to my grandmother, you're only welcome to me and through me, through the white light of God, head to toe, front to back, in and out. This is my domain. I was five, four years old. Those are words I couldn't even spell, but I knew them. I was given them because I never would have been on this planet. I never would have been in this incarnation or survived it without knowing who I am, which is more than my body. It's more than my heart. It is pure spirit. How vast from what you know as the spirit world. And at that time, did you have a, cause I'll ask you how you felt later or how you feel now, but at that time in your childhood and your teenage years, what was your understanding of the spirit world? I understood that I never liked horror movies. I understood that movies like the exorcist and things that young people were into and my you know friends maybe teenagers that were into all of that i could never watch it i i was just never i'm 
I can't watch violent movies. I can't watch slashers or shoot him up. And I, I, I can't. My being does not allow me to sit in that kind of a vibration. Do you think that's because of personal preference or that is because of your sensitivity and your ability and that the horror films, and this is something I've always been curious of, are affecting you at some other type of level? I agree with that. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that, again, I've never been a vibration. I've always been a frequency. I have never been a type. I've always been a frequency. I've always been a vibration. And I think that one of my special gifts and one of the things I'm really proud of is to be able to walk into a room with people who are suffering or in pain and in a very short amount of time, having them laughing and having them in a place of peace or a place of love because not because of anything I'm doing, but by who I am and the frequency that is coming from me out to them. There is something about, I always think of, I think of when I chose as a nurse to work with AIDS patients when no one else wanted to work with them. And I wouldn't dress like I was going to go on a moonwalk. I, I kind of broke all sorts of universal law or precaution laws in hospitals. And, you know, there's a file somewhere in the basement of when I left of my naughtiness. But I treated people like people. I treated people. I wasn't afraid of anything they had. And I've held people who have died with no family with them, no family that ever came to visit them, shut in a room for weeks and months waiting to die. And I have wrapped myself in a sheet. I've pulled them into my arms and I've held them and sang to them, held them and just loved them so they could make their transition in peace. And that doesn't make me a freak. It makes me more human or more humane than maybe the rest of the species hasn't quite got there yet. I don't know. Do you remember when you actually decided to to become who you are, to, to try this, to try this as a Uh, to have seances as a trans medium? I have done a few. Um, But what I would like to say is that allowing spirit to work through me, I'm sacred. Allowing spirit to use me as a vessel or a channel, I ask I allow, I invite all that is holy and good to use me as a vessel to bring energy of healing, to bring messages of hope, to bring loved ones' messages to them in a way so they can have some closure, so they can have their peace. 
and they can start to breathe again. Because what I know, I'm very aware that others don't, most don't. And what I'm aware of is one at a time throughout my career, one at a time, thousands of people I've read for or given a message to have sat in a seance. They remember the seances. I don't. I'm asleep for a few hours. I'm kind of, I have no idea until I come back unless it's been recorded with permission, what's been said or what's been done. And I've heard my voices change, that people have seen different faces come across my face, that there are orbs in the room, there are sounds on the wall, we've heard music like from an old carousel, we've had big bands playing, people have seen spirits in the room. And I'm not saying I know how to make all three rings of that circus go, but I can tell you spirit does. So t- so tell me from the beginning of the process, how does a seance begin and what are you feeling? Well, a couple days before it's done, um, I, I load in protein and then um, I stop eating and I have to just fluids and shakes, protein shakes, soups, things like that to be clear. Um, it is a process of, again, it's detoxing the physical body and getting it ready for a higher purpose and to be able to do that in the best way. I start to play with frequency and vibration with different music, uh, that reverberates my spirit, that brightens my light, that releases stress or tight any place in my body. Uh, it could be opera, it could be chanting, it could be, you know, crystal bowls, it can be anything ethereal will take me like places that just are amazing. And the closer I get to spirit and becoming more to be able to connect, the less of the physical around me am I aware of. So when I go into a room Someone picks me up and drives me. I have dark sunglasses on even at night. I'm that kind of a diva because my eyes become extremely sensitive to light. And if you look at my eyes after, which people have, my pupils are just beyond strange looking. But I wear the dark shades. I'm led into a room. People have already been instructed. They can't move. There's no sounds. They just sit and they listen. And the room is set up for me usually with water and flowers and my a few sacred items of mine that might be present. My native drum might be on the table or a trumpet just for physical things for people to see or bells that spirit can ring if they want or tap on my drum. And it's done in that way. And usually the most people in a sitting, what we've done with years of practice, has been close to like 40 or 50 people. Normally, every month when they were done on a regular basis for years, we cut off at 15. And we cut off at 15 because of the work it takes to channel through the physical body a large amount longer than two hours 
is you get into almost like an unsafe territory. And when you say unsafe, it, it, oh, so it, it, you might stay where you are, in other words, is there? I totally detach from me. I, I move to the side and they come in and only my teachers come, the gate is there. And through my teachers and my higher guidance, anything else, when I open that door, anything else can only come through with the highest and best. And if their energy is less than that, they can't come in. And so in the beginning of it, when, when you start to actually feel the spirit come into you, do you black out? Do you lose consciousness? It's kind of a sleep. It's, it is it is kind of a sleep. When I was younger and when my kids were little, they would come up to me and they would put their hands across my face and they would go across my eyes because I wouldn't blink. I would, when I get day visions and it's, it's, that's how it started is the day visions or the night visions. And when I'm connected, then I'm, I'm not aware of the physical body so much at all. Deep trance, like we're talking about with a seance, that's allowing the loved ones of the sitters, making sure no one that's there is using any kind of drug, drugs or has had alcohol before they come and sit. We always say no spirits before the spirits. You can drink after you're going to need one. <laughs> yeah, we would tell people that. And it is, we have no idea what's going to happen. We have no idea who's going to come through. We don't even know the people who are sitting there. So in the dark, coming and sitting down, allowing in the opening prayer and allowing them to come through, from that point on, Robin leaves the building. She doesn't know what's going on. And my... My sitters, there's four people or four to six people that are my team that will sit in the four directions. And their job is to make sure everyone between them is sitting uncrossed with their, le out their legs crossed, sitting without their arms crossed. And they're sitting in a way that is very sacred, hands up, open, listening not talking at all, just listening. And so my, my crew, there's one to my left and one to my right, usually that are sitting with me as well. They speak to my channels, my guides, and we bring people in that come for, they'll go next. We have, and the person, this is Robin. And Robin says, hello. And then the guide that wants to speak to them speaks to them. And then the loved one that comes through for them brings the message. Sometimes they get touched or tickles, accents, bad ones or good ones. We never really know what's going to happen because they now have access to my channel, my being. But there's no way that a malevolent spirit could jump in during this situation? I think that I've never had that happen, but I would tell you that I know people that have. Has anyone ever feared and panicked during a seance? Obviously, you would learn about it after the fact, but has that ever happened? 
Mm-hmm. Some higher beings that talk very much like whales. Um, the whales uh, and whales and dolphins, you and I will talk about that as well, but the whales are the record keepers and through the vibration and frequency of them, they send messages to other planets, uh, to other places in the universe. And so their toning that they do is a kind of uh, language. And what was interesting is in some of the different times I've channeled, I've channeled dolphin clicks. I've channeled um, d- whale. I, I speak whale literally. Uh, and it's a kind of very weird thing that comes through. But everybody who's sitting in the room is wet. There's a wet or a mist that comes from the energies that come through where it's like standing next to Niagara Falls and feeling the mist of the falls coming out across your face. And we know that's ectoplasm. We'll be right back. Within this old house live two residents. One of them is John Russell, composer, professor. The other has been dead for over 70 years. Claire, I'd like to talk to you about the house. Many films will frighten you, but only a few can really terrify you. The Changeling, an experience beyond total fear. ectoplasm forming um, before just before the the opening of the 20th century and 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 after as well you know when seances were quite popular back then uh, how do you feel about those vintage seances well I can't speak for the intentions of the people who are doing it because I truly think that there are a lot of people out there that claim to be gifted there's an awful lot of people, and you know that too, that want to be famous being doing this work. Yes, for sure. I take a weekend class and I'm a master of something kind of mindset. And honestly, to be honest, when you are working with anything, you can't you can't teach what you don't know and you don't know until you have experience. 
And so you could recognize that because you have a lifetime of experience, correct? Mm -hmm. And I, and I feel it makes me, do you know that it makes me sad? It makes me, it makes me really sad because there's a little girl in me that wishes I could find a whole tribe of weirdos like me, little freaks. We'd start our own little, maybe our own little political party or our own little something, something. And, and every now and then that inner child goes, maybe I'll have friends. But I can count, I can I know thousands of people, but I can count on less than two hands of the people who know me well that trust me and I trust completely. And 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 some of my most favorite people have died in the last five to ten years, including my business manager. And it's yeah, it's interesting because everything collapsed for a little bit because she was pretty amazing. And she was my, the person everyone went through to get to me. And she kind of helped weed out things that I, you know, there's certain things, obviously, you know, I'm like, I roll my eyes and just walk away. I, I wish nobody ill will. I just don't, I can't be involved in drama, chaos, craziness. Are there any other stories that you can tell me about what the people in the room experienced after you came out of the trance? They, lots of tears, lots of, you know, you can hear people catch their breath when they hear somebody say something that, you know, it could be that you sang Old Rugged Cross at my funeral and I heard you and it was beautiful and thank you. It it can be something is is important. That's important, right? Or it can be something about everybody arguing about the will or fighting about or looking for and all that kind of stuff. I've heard all of those things. I did go into, I was called to at one point to go into an insane asylum in upstate New York uh, they were having a lot of problems. People weren't coming to the shops and getting touched or hit or pushed. Um, people were, it. they had turned it into uh, little shops that, you know, you make things, little craft things or whatever. And someone decided that it would be a great old building to use and to use it in that way. The upper levels of the floor that and the basement, the upper levels where some pretty horrific things happen and below, which obviously shock, electric shock and those kinds of things happened. And chains still hooked to the walls where the criminally insane probably were chained there. And, but they had called me and I didn't know anything about it. And since then, the ghost hunters have gone and investigated there and stuff. But this is well before that. And they asked me to come and it's around Halloween. And I'm like, oh, we're going to take a ride to the country and pick out pumpkins. Well, we pulled in and there, I saw a woman standing at the top in the window, like a horror movie, I swear. And my daughter's like seven or eight and she puts her hand over and she puts her hand on my knee and she goes, mommy, don't go in there. Oh boy. Because my children have my gift as well. But, but the youngest one put her hand on my knee and she goes, mommy, no. She goes, I, I don't want to go in there. Mommy, you shouldn't go in there. 
And I said, oh, nonsense. People are expecting me. I'll be right back. You can stay out here and walk around. And there's a beautiful yard. Go play. Because I didn't know what I was walking into. And I walked in and it was like bees coming at me and hitting me. I felt things palpably jumping at me and hitting my body. Like, have you ever had big insects? Like you've walked into something and they just kind of bump into you? Yes. Mm -hmm. And my stomach got really tight and it lurched a little bit. And that's always a sign that I'm not near something good. Okay. So when we're talking about spirits that aren't good. So it used to be a poor house and it used to be an orphanage as well. And during the flu epidemic back in whatever the 1800s or 1900s or whenever it was first built, that people went there, they quarantined them there, and tons and tons of people died there. And over the years, different people taking over the property, the property has been used for all sorts of things. But what they did was they had knocked down all the markers where all the people were buried. They, they were not, they were not existent, but in the 1800s or 1900s, there were pictures taken or people had drawn things where different children were buried here. People, um, uh, patients were buried over here. So there was a huge mound of a mass grave. And I found that out right away. But I had children's spirits all over me. Those were the bees. They didn't sting me. They just were so excited that somebody came and was going to try to help them. Okay. They didn't hurt me. They just made their presence known as children do. So I walked deeper and I'm like, what is this place? Like what's going on? Right. So I get through that and I go to go upstairs because I have this thing pulling me upstairs pulling me. And I've seen that lady in a parking lot. Remember when we pulled in, I said, I saw a lady at the top that clearly, that clearly wasn't in, in good shape, let's say. And so she's pulling me up the stairs and I go to go upstairs and the owner, the lady that's running it goes, you can't go up there. That's close to the public. You're not allowed to go up there. And I looked at her and I said, well, if you want me to clear this place, if you want me to know what's going on and you want to know who's bothering the people here, I have to have access. You have to just let me walk by myself and let me figure it out. She goes, well, I won't be responsible for whatever happens to you. People have been pushed down the stairs. Bad things have happened kind of thing. So I said to her, I'll be fine. And I was with a couple people who went with me and the higher I was going up the stairs, there was a stench and an odor that was like, took me away. And the people who were with me didn't smell it. Okay. Remember a medium has all of their senses heightened and often associated with bad or negative spirits. There's also a, there's always, or usually a foul smell. And is that what you experienced as you were walking into the, the building? Absolutely. Walking through it. Mm -hmm. The bottom floors where the children were, were clear, the clearest, but a lot of confusion, scared and confusion. So how, how is it, and we'll get right back to the rest of this story, but 
Describe how is it walking through structures like that all of the time and experiencing this this heightened energy, so uh, so much of an empath where you're really sensitive to everything. Anybody who tells you that it's easy <laughs> isn't doing it right. <laughs> it's hard. It's. I always say that I'm walking towards things most people are running away from. Okay. I, that's kind of how I've been my entire life. People are walking or running away from a situation that's terrifying them, and I'm walking towards it to help. So you were probably aware beforehand that walking into this structure, you were going to experience a, a kaleidoscope of energies. And I had frankincense all over my body. I had salt with me and frankincense that are my number one things. I had a blessed by the Pope um, rosary around my neck. I was not walking in there without anything with me. And I had a couple of people that I that come and clear things with me. And we've had experiences together that I trusted. You never know what you're going to find, but I, I felt as armed as I could possibly be. And so what was it like as you proceeded forward? It went from children and more innocent and fear and naive and just scared to energy that bounced and pinged around me that was very manic and psychotic, tortured um no real clear thoughts other than fear and drugged or abused and just neglected and just in a horrible way i got to the top and well what the floor before the top i went in and there was chicken legs all over and there was a pentagram on the ground and there was blood all in this room, to which I said, I, I saw it, and I walked in, and I said, they, they go, you can't go in that room, and I opened the door instantly, and I was like, what is this, and she goes, well, you know, there's some, there's some groups that Wiccan people that came and they did something and they're the, and I go, they open something or they're playing with things that they have no idea what they're doing. And now you have all these energies in this place that really just need peace and to go home. Why would they call them back here and open something and bring them back that you're still torturing them? Well, they're also mad, Christopher, because they're buried and their markers are gone. And do you find that um, that spirits get angry over these type of things? I had read once about the Black Hope Haunting, which was an old slave cemetery in Texas. And, and the, the markers were just removed and a hamlet was built over it. And it's the same story. The spirits are enraged that their, um, their graves have been desecrated. Yes. And these spirits weren't, I'm going to say this, to anyone else with a different mindset of evil. Evil often comes from mental illness 
or a person that's broken and it's not pretty, a, a, a person that has split, they, they lose touch with reality, they are alone, they're scared. I think there has been moments in all of our lives where if the wrong person was standing at the end of the hall looking at us, that they might think that we're a girl interrupted or a person that's losing their, their crap, right? Sure. And I think that people that have no rights that go into places like that and we're being tortured and they, they just found when they went into the ground, they found peace. Their markers were there and they felt like it, it was a, it's a reverence. It's a, it's a respect. And those spirits felt, okay, at least I'm safe now and I'm not hurting now. So to make a long story short, we let the spirits leave. We did a group. I brought a seance. We brought a group there and we spoke. We got names. We got head call. Roll, it was like we were doing roll call. But the old historian that had the logs, the census, all the names that were coming through, first and last names, were people who had been there or children that had been there. They were able to trace everything that came through with the seance that that was right. Well, then they told me that their markers are in the barn. And I said, what? And they go, the markers are in the barn. They, they just pulled them all up and they're all in, they're all in that building back there. Well, when I opened up the build, we opened up the building to look back there, they, in the bottom, in the back, underneath all the trash from, you know, a hundred years, they found all those stones. And I said to them, I said, you need to put them back or you need to at least set them upright with respect even if you're going to use that land and you're going to use it for something else, the markers still should be around the property of a sign of respect. And if you do that, they'll leave. They'll be fine. Nobody's pushing people down the stairs. Crazy people hit and push, but they're trying to get attention. And what was the choice that they made after you told them that? Uh, several months later, she came back and told me that she was selling tickets to a haunted asylum and she needed me to come back and undo what I did because it was quiet. It was peaceful that they couldn't get readings on their equipment, that the ghost hunters are coming and everyone's going to come and we want them to be able to feel what was here. And I said, I, the owner and I just had it out. I mean, I don't get mad often, but I was like, let these spirits rest. And she goes, well, it's my livelihood. That's why I bought the building. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know if it still goes on, but I just never went back and never had anything to do with it. And I refused to go and to stir up anything and try to bring them back. So this is the, this raises an interesting question. Do you feel that recreational ghost hunts, so to speak, are disturbing the spirits? Well, I never call it hunting because no one wants to hunt Aunt Anne. She was the sweetest person. I call them investigations. Okay. Okay. I like using the word investigation because I think that 
there are some times where houses are really, really active and they need to have someone come in to figure out what it is. And I've done that thousands of times in my career. And it, you, it can be something as simple as, I hate the color yellow and they're painting my bedroom yellow. And I'm always go, well, you should ask the spirits of this place before you start tearing things down or don't pull out the rose bushes because my dog is buried there. Sure. I, I know of some investigators that enter very respectfully, mm-hmm. but then there are others that, you know, tear their shirt off and scream at the ceiling and try and challenge, you know, aggressively a ghost that's in the house. And how do you feel about that oh. method? Well, if I wish you could see me right now, I'm glad we're doing this, you know, this way, but my face is red. It, it upsets me. It upsets me because I'm all about respect. I'm all about this being sacred. I'm all about this being holy and good. And as in anything, there's always the opposite on the spectrum, right? Yes. And if that's what we want and that's what we're looking for, that's what we'll find. But you know what I've also figured out in the last 40 years of doing this is people regret antagonizing anything or dabbling with things they don't understand. And I'm the one that they call when everybody else doesn't know what to do. Like (laughs) the priest has come and blessed it. Another priest has come and blessed it. And then the priest is telling you to go call Pastor Robin. Like I'm the one that goes in and does clean up in aisle five because no one else knows what to do. (laughs) Well, is there ever or was or could there be ever a particular situation where there are allegedly spirits or demonic presence or anything like that inside a home, uh, a facility, wherever, that you would avoid, that you wouldn't enter? I think that I've been challenged by spirit. I can remember as we're talking, one, that when I walked up the stairs, um, the poster that was on the wall tore right in front of us. And they had knocked a uh, branch down to hit the father's brand new Porsche that he had just pulled in. And the family had been living in a hotel. And um, again, that was a situation where I had the recorders in my pockets to try to get EVPs. And in my ear, I heard it call me a bitch. In my ear, I heard it, and I go, that's right. I'm the the queen bitch. They call me when no one else. And in a few minutes, somebody's leaving here, and I can absolutely assure you it won't be me. And I started to ring the Tibetan bells and playing the bowls and just making this awful, screechy, but spiritual tones with bells and tones and things. And I, it got so mad that the woman that was with me that was at the end of the hall felt the presence go by her and she almost slid up against the wall. It was like a movie, like something moved suddenly. We felt it and it was gone. When we got back and we listened to the EVP, before you hear me saying, yeah, I'm the queen, but you can hear them say bitch on the EVP. And the EVP is, is it electronic voice phenomena? Yes. Okay. And how is that usually conducted for the people that don't know? um, It's used to 
um, another way, like the a team that we worked with in Tampa, it's another investigative tool that's used to pick up vibration and frequency. Like, remember he had the spirit box? Yes. Um, those kinds of boxes that can actually, they can touch them and they can make them say things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, EVP, if I hear it or you hear it clairaudently through our ears or through our spirit, and we have this little recorder on us, not everybody, but people who are connected really, energetically, vibrationally, sound, whatever, will also be able to hear it on the tape. The the spirit is able, is so clear, they're able to do it because I have ectoplasm in me and around me. I use it all the time. Yeah. um, And so the, the ectoplasm itself, what is that comprised of? It's a, it's a, a change that happens in a medium's body that is kind of like we have gases and we have all these chemicals in our body, right? All these minerals and chemicals that make us up. If we look at a, a science chart and, and, and our elements and all of that, we're all of those things, right? But a medium has way different kind of, like we're kind of made a little different. Okay. We kind of have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they've thrown in a little of this. I have to take a lot of trace minerals, especially if I'm doing a lot of trance work. Um, you know, I drink chlorophyll. I drink, I, there are things that I do to boost my blood that boost me to support the work I do. Okay. And so ectoplasm is taken it actually can get misty it can look like cheesecloth and in, in old-fashioned pictures i think we talked earlier and you asked me about it i i some of it looks really fake to me does it right, to you in terms of those vintage photos right and to you did you get that feeling when you see them well i i've always been fascinated by those photos regardless even as art um but it has to come from somewhere you know, even if some people were imitating it, there must have been some kind of phenomenon where people experienced it. Yeah. I love when you show uh, at any point, it's more than you probably need to know. But for 23 years, I was a pastor of the Mother Church of Modern Spiritualism. Okay. Spiritualism was born and raised in Hydesville, New York. And so it's all about proving that there there is no death there's the change called death and that our soul is going to continue to move and morph the only time i ever went into a church where i didn't feel i was going to get struck by lightning is the first time i walked into a spiritualist church i felt like a lot of what they said i could believe and i could feel that i belong there like the, there might be some people like me here I'd been married to a man who was Catholic. So it's a big difference between the Catholic church and a spiritualist church. Of course. Hugely. Of course. But I ended up reading for a, a priest that went on sabbatical and never came back to the Catholic church because he said to me, I'm supposed to tell you what you're doing is wrong and that it's evil and that it is, it is everything that, that we are totally against. He says, but you spoke 
you called me a name. You said the name of a city or a town that I was born in Switzerland. There's nobody knows that. You called me a name that my, my mother or my grandmother called me. A nickname that was just between she and I, he said, the only way you would know that is if you were talking to her. So I can't tell you what you're doing is wrong, but I can tell you that I've spent my whole life dedicated to God and waiting for God to talk to me like he talks to you. And we are still friends. But the idea is that we're more than we've ever, we're much more as a being or a species, we're much more than we've ever been told. And throughout history, anybody who was a little bit more advanced, showed more abilities to see and know things, could lay hands on people and bring healing and bring, you know, peace. The blind can see, the lame can walk kind of mindset. I don't think that those things stopped happening after the Bible or after sacred texts were written. I think people started to think that they were all that and started forgetting who they really are, right? And, and <laughs> listening. Yes, of course. Well, because they are either distracted by technology or they're distracted by a one-track belief system and they're committed to it, either one. And so it prevents them from expanding their mind and ultimately their spirits. Well, the leaders in the world of the ego and the edging got out, the people in the world that were in charge, the kings, the queens, the whatever, Sure. You were only as powerful as you of what you could control. So somebody coming in and empowering people, telling people that they could make a decision and that they had gifts of their own, they would have no control. Sure. So that raises a major question for me right now, and I want to catch it while I can. Um, so... And I, I believe the same thing, especially the powers that be. I believe politicians are mostly soulless, and there's a reason for that. Exactly. And their philosophy is soulless. And so, do you believe if the antithesis of the way things are, that if children were encouraged to enhance their abilities, their innate abilities that a lot of us have, and develop them from an early age, that the world would be spiritually quite different? that people would be more in tune with the afterlives or the other dimensions? Do you believe that this would be a very different world if those things weren't so concealed? And that's what it's supposed to be. And that's what people like me are here to do. And I say over and over again, anybody who knows me, who's seen me work, a little child shall leave them. They need to not be medicated. They need to learn to meditate meditate, don't medicate. They need to be taught to listen. They need to be able to use their senses. They need to be unplugged and listen to nature. They need to listen to their GPS, their, their 
gut knows things. They have this great ability that if they're taught to listen to it, something's going to tell them not to go to school that day, or maybe not to go to that mall, or maybe not go into that movie theater, because something feels off or something feels wrong. And I have talked to family members that have lost loved ones that say, my child didn't want to go and I made them, or my daughter begged me not to go and then we were hit and my and her dad died those kinds of stories i hear every day in my life and i tell people listen your gut knows it's the original gps it knows when something's good it knows when something's bad it knows if you lean towards it it's good if your body leans away from it it's bad it's like a its own little its own little pendulum its own little meter that lets you know going towards it you're safe again i'm so grateful for this conversation and i ask every guest this on the way out of the conversation is that when you are prepared to leave this world in this body as robin what would you take with you if you could I will take the vibration and the frequency that I have shared with every heart and every mind and every spirit that's ever crossed my path. And I will be so happy that I get a piece of them that goes home with me. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for listening to Robin's story. I intentionally interview my subjects without any severely skeptical criticism or scrutiny. I believe that asking for details and taking the journey through their life story is certainly far more of an effective analysis. So whether you believe in an afterlife or not, you can't deny credible figures throughout history having a common human experience with the spiritual realm. There are things beyond our understanding. It's a fact. And to close that off by declaring a limitation to your beliefs is, in my opinion, intellectually, spiritually, scientifically, and metaphysically criminal. And certainly not very fun at all. To the eternally skeptical, I agree. Frauds do exist, but so does the unknown.